0: So have you heard of this company that allows you to hire B-list or even lower than B-list actors to join your Zoom calls? Yeah. Who would you get? I'm kind of torn. Of course you want to get Tony Hawk, pro skateboarder. It's $200 to get him to join your Zoom call. (laughs) So you can get Perez Hilton for $90. Woo! How the Mighty
1: Have Fallen. Lance Bass, former NSYNC member for $249 or
0: Andrew Dice Clay for 300 bucks. Even Debbie Gibson charges less than he does. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions
2: on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts.
1: Welcome back to Touchpoint. This is episode 177. I am Reed Smith. And that is Chris Boyer, and you are listening.
0: You are listening, and I am paying attention and listening myself. So I think if you're listening, Reed, I think we're all in on the listening thing for the next hour or so. That's right. Everybody's listening.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, telling a friend. As we just assume you have and would hope you do, because that is still the number one way that folks can um, help us out, quite honestly. Touchpoint.health is the website. That's where you can find out more about the show or this specific episode that you're listening to or other shows or show hosts on the network. We encourage you to go out there, check out the site, sign up for the TPS report, which is our weekly email that comes out each and every Monday morning with just a handful of usable and useful links from around the industry, aggregated by our show host. We would also love, if I can make one more ask, for you to write a review, specifically Mm -hmm. on Apple Podcasts. So if you'd navigate out there, give us five stars. If not, we lose our jobs. And write (laughs) a review. That would be awesome. And so what we'll do is we'll take a brief pause here so you can do that very thing, and then we'll be right back.
0: And build a reputation that performs for you. Today, we're going to be talking about video. And we've talked about video before on our podcast. And if you can go back into you know, some of the annals of what we've done, we've, we've had a variety of different conversations around the importance of video. But there's been sort of a resurgence around video and the video format, particularly in this day and time.
1: Video is interesting. We've always talked about that it's important, certainly. And uh, I'm trying to think, it was a few episodes ago, we talked about the Gerard study that we had done. One of the things that that people said would make them feel more comfortable in this idea of coming back to the hospital uh, would be the idea of understanding new cleanliness procedures and those types of things. And it's not tell me that there's a new procedure. It's show me that there's a new procedure and what what does cleanliness look like and those types of things. Well, how do you do that? I mean, I guess you could do it maybe with pictures to some degree, but obviously from a video standpoint, it's going to make more sense. I've seen a ton of video from chief medical officers. Again, we've talked about kind of separating the fact from the fiction or uh, getting kind of away from fear. Uh, the misinformation piece of it, all this done via video.
0: Video is a good content type to use. And it's become more and more a very standard approach that organizations use, that brands use when they're talking about their organization because it's quite frankly, it's a little versatile and and it's engaging. It gives you that real life picture of what's going on. Unlike when we were doing video 10 years ago and Reid, you remember you were on one of my earlier video series way back then, it's much easier now to share video across social media Mm. and across multiple platforms. Bandwidth problems have gone away. More than that, it's becoming what people are very familiar with. Think about
1: YouTube, for example, it's it's kind of the hub of DIY to some degree. You know how to fix this or do that or what does this look like? Or you know, you're looking for a new car and you want to look up a review. I mean, that's almost where you start in a lot of cases. You don't start at a search engine necessarily, although YouTube is is a search engine. That's where you go. That's where people are used to getting information.
0: And it's becoming easier and easier for us to create video now that we have the video camera in our pocket. Let's start off first. Let's talk a little bit about some stats, share some stats that prove that marketers really need to seriously consider video if it isn't already part of what you do. In a holistic way. And we're pulling these stats from an article we found on the Digital Marketing Institute website called The Importance of Video Marketing.
1: The first thing they talk about is that 97%, so we'll just round up and say everybody, (laughs) of of marketers at least claim that video helps uh, consumers understand products. From an informing and from an education standpoint, much like I was just talking about, um, I don't wanna go to the Ford website, right, and read about a car. Like I'm just going to go and find a review by road and track or cars.com or whatever that they've posted on YouTube of that particular model. So helping people to understand the product and it's a little easier to nuance sometimes if you can show somebody
0: something. Another stat that they say is related to SEO. They say that by 2021, they estimate that over 80% of all website traffic will be consisting of video. And should we just round that up to 100% too? I mean, honestly, that's a big number, 80% of all traffic. I get it though. When I'm searching for things now, I even see Google putting up video panels in their knowledge graph, right? They're trying to get us to watch more video. And quite frankly, I am clicking more on the videos because it actually gives me more of the information that I want. There's
1: also a competitive piece to this. 81% of businesses, they say, use video for marketing purposes. Again, makes sense. I mean, it kind of feeds into the SEO piece that you just talked about or search traffic and whatnot. And so we're creating a lot of the content. So you have to then create a lot of the content to be competitive.
0: And speaking of creating content, there's new content types, and one of the things that we've seen a huge surge of recently is around live videos. And I remember when Facebook introduced Facebook Live a couple of years ago, and before that was like Meerkat and
1: uh, Oh yeah, Periscope.
0: Periscope, right? Those are all designed to be live video platforms. Well, live video now, will they estimate will account for thirteen percent of video traffic by twenty twenty one? so i wonder if that 13% is part of the 80% or is that on top of the 80% either way we're we're getting a big part of the web traffic on video
1: 13% is is a fair amount if you think about that like how you know if you're scrolling through facebook right now how much of that content is actual live content Uh, Well, let me take that back. Before the last few months, because we have every musician in the country now doing their Quarantunes on Thursday nights or whatever, you know, kind of thing on Instagram or what have you, uh, which is great. But again, us being in this kind of virtual state, not being live music, et cetera, et cetera, has driven that certainly. So we may even see that number higher uh, as people, much like telemedicine, telehealth, kind of got forced into a model, all of a sudden realized they liked it, and there's probably no going back. Probably similar with the live video piece. You know, we've had people forced to use it for various reasons. may not go back. Another data point they have in here, 90% of consumers claim video helped them make a purchasing decision. With these 81% of these businesses using video for marketing, uh, apparently it works because people say, and again, I used the car buying thing earlier. That's what would kind of put that over the top because you're not reading features. You're, you're experiencing the features, right? You get to like watch the video and go, oh, that's how the seat folds up. So you can get into the third row or whatever
0: and i've seen a lot of organizations now like you like you said reed where they're creating video that helps demonstrate what their new uh, safety practices are they may even show like what a virtual tour would look like if you come into the facility i have to go that sort of thing the whole intention around video here is it's so attainable it's so easy to digest and it's so engaging it's a great effective way to share information in this day and age. And so that li- leads us to, um, and actually a pretty comprehensive article. We're not going to go through all of it, but it's from HubSpot and it's called the ultimate guide to video marketing. Oh, no, the ultimate, the ultimate guide. guide. We had the dominating trends last week. Now we have the ultimate guide of video marketing.
1: Seems very uh, authoritative, uh, <laughs> but they do. They cover several things. It's obviously uh, things like the types of videos, how to make video work. What's the social media tie, right? Like how does that work from a strategic standpoint? Um, How do you use it throughout maybe a customer journey? So again, back to the healthcare piece, think about all the education events we've done through the years, whether that be quite honestly anything from a job fair to childbirth classes to, you know, wellness events, et cetera. And then finally measurement, you know, how do you know you've, you've been successful?
0: What's interesting about this article, and we encourage everybody to click on it and and learn more. I mean, HubSpot's a really good, they do great content. And this is a really informative resource. But they mentioned 12 types of videos. As I was kind of looking at the 12, I thought it would be interesting for us to kind of go through those and and maybe uh, check them off and see how they're used in healthcare. The first one, read very quickly, is demo videos. Showcase how your product works whether that's taking viewers on a tour of your software or how it can be used, even unboxing, they categorize unboxing videos as a way to demonstrate. Now in healthcare, I think more of it is along the lines of what we were talking about, which is showing what it would be like if you show up and now there's PEXA glass and you know, how they're going to check your temperature at the door, that sort of thing.
1: Even pre-pandemic, or if you just think about things like uh, electives, joint Weight loss, sleep—like, okay, let's take sleep. That's a good. This is actually a good one. So, from a demo standpoint, there's probably a fair amount of anxiety because I would—I would assume a lot, if not the majority, of people doing a sleep study is probably their first one. If you were able to say. You're going to get here and you're going to show them this is what it looks like. And then Susan here is going to ask for your information. You think you're reducing anxiety, potentially uh, increasing better outcomes, uh, decreasing no-show rates, things like that. So I think the demo video piece is a, is a really interesting one. The next one they talk about are brand videos. I mean, we're, we're obviously you no know, stranger to this. This is obviously on the advertising side of the equation. It's a little more general. We're trying to elicit emotion with these in, in a lot of cases and we'll see it whether you're moving into a new market obviously you know you're trying to get the brand out there some some awareness that's really what these are for
0: event videos is another type of video that is important and you know I remember when the periscope days video back then was you would have a press release and you would, you would kind of feature what's going on at that event. Well, I'm seeing more and more event videos where people are just live streaming what's occurring, and it could be more than just a gala or a, a press announcement or whatever it might be. That's another video type that I see happening a lot in health systems, really just highlighting what's going on from any kind of gathering that's happening.
1: Expert interviews. Uh, pretty self-explanatory. We've done a lot of these, obviously. Most of the time, if not all the time, they include someone clinical. More of an education could be live, uh, quite honestly. But in most cases, at least to this point, they have not been live. And we're, we're trying to get some people and it's usually service line specific and we have certain you know marketing plans and things like that for it.
0: Uh, there's education how-to videos, and we talked about how-to videos before on YouTube, but in our world, education is like patient education videos, post-discharge, how to do physical therapy rehabilitation at home, or, or how to even launch the first the telemedicine visit that you do. There's a lot of videos that are being created now that are more in that category of education and how-to.
1: A little bit kind of on the heels of that, explainer videos. We've seen these historically, they could be animations, uh, which I don't want to get in the nuances of animation versus video, but it's still a video, but there's not live people in it. It looks like a cartoon sometimes. But it's a way of, to kind of guide people, I don't know if this is fair or not, but kind of a, in a linear path of what to do or how to do it. Again, educational may, may be more like around a topic. Like diabetes, right? And explainer video maybe more about, you know, how to use uh, a particular insulin pump or something like that.
0: Exactly. Well, you said you don't want to get the nuance of animated videos, but that is one type they actually call out in this article and they say it's a great format for hard to grasp concepts that need strong visuals, infographic type of explainers and things like that. And I've seen a lot of those used when they're you know, maybe describing some clinical research that they're doing or what is Taver mean when it first came out. I've seen a lot of those, you know, those kinds of edu- animated videos to help explain.
1: What and it gives you an opportunity to not have to be so reliant on other people's schedules and availability and some of those types of things. It's something that you could potentially go, if you think about internal communications, you can go and create in a silo and then then push out, certainly. Case studies or testimonials, um, we've obviously done testimonials for years, especially and most commonly around electives, again, uh, whether that be bariatric surgery, could be again sleep, like I mentioned earlier, joint replacement, etc. It's a lot of people. I, I can think of some series of them that I did for a group of electrophysiologists at a, at a hospital. So it was uh, you know post ablation patients talking about quality of life and how much better it was, etc.
0: Live videos. We we mentioned those before. Those are the the special live platforms that you can do now on every social media platform, they say here that viewers spend up to 8.1 times longer on a live video, and you can do longer form streams as well. So that in and of itself should give you pause to consider that form factor for your next video.
1: Yeah, certainly. 360 or virtual reality tours is how I think about this. That's, That's realistically what we've done with them in the past. A lot of labor and delivery falls here this is what the room looks like. This is where you'll show up. This is where your partner will be. And this is how far from this and where you pe- you know, the waiting room, all that kind of stuff. And so it just gives people again, kind of that peace of mind,
0: because chances are they haven't been there. Now the last couple are a little bit on the edge, augmented reality videos. You know, this is where you, you point your, your phone camera at like a, a space Like the app that you recommended the other day, where it was about painting your wall color a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. That's an augmented reality approach. I think AR is finding its role in healthcare. I can see a lot of it being used right now in terms of when you're you're doing planning around how do you want to set up your operating room or your emergency room that's kind of in the early stages when you're developing these physical spaces. But I could see it happening more and more as we bring healthcare into the home that patients will start to use augmented reality videos to kind of help navigate their healthcare.
1: Yeah, the best example of this I can think of uh, over the last year or so is when we moved to Nashville. We needed a, a new television for our den. Historically, I would have just bought the largest one because that makes the most sense. But I was able to use the Best Buy app and like actually take the television and like it like put it on the wall right? Like using the app. And then very quickly, I was like, that looks stupid. That's like, that's way too big. From an education or, or experience standpoint, I think this is really interesting uh, on kind of how we think about that for healthcare. The last one here, uh, personalized messages. So they talk about recording yourself recapping an important meeting or some sort of personalized recommendations, et cetera. It's almost like the inverse of the customer testimonial to some degree. But an interesting thing to think about, and honestly, I don't know that we really do that much uh, outside of like the expert interview that we talked about earlier as a brand, uh, individual influencers certainly do.
0: Well, you know, I could see personalized messages being used, uh, particularly as we start to embrace telemedicine more, that maybe you have a consult with your doctor through a telemedicine platform or what have you, but wouldn't it be interesting to have the doctor then after maybe that conversation with you, record a brief message and send it to you through the patient portal. Now that's not there yet, but that could be a very effective personalized message that the doctor can do as part of your care plan. I know that we as health systems are starting to think about all these different ways that we can apply these different video types. Why don't we do this Read after the break? Why don't we come back and talk a little bit? There's a great article that we found on Adage or adage.com, I should say, that talks about six essential creative rules that make all the difference for online video. And it'd be fun to kind of dive into that. Let's do that right after this uh, brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front-row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media.
1: All right, so now let's jump into the, like capital T-H-E, the six essential creative roles that makes all the difference. No, it really is. There's there's good ones here. So uh, we can go through this, kind of talk about it a little bit. What is unique or different in healthcare, et cetera. And this is a, an article from uh, adage.com. We'll link to it. So the first one they talk about play to the platform. And this is this is an interesting one, right? Because if if you think about it, these platforms like their own tools and they prioritize their own features. And so as they come out with new features like uh, when Facebook came up with the live video of the stories or whatever, it was good to use that because they would prioritize that in the algorithm to some degree. But they talk about playing to the platform, your creative ideas should be adaptable and customizable for every platform and to, like I was talking about, leverage the functionality of that individual platform. They got an interesting point in here, which I think is is great. But it's start uh, by building everything for mobile, mobile first, not mobile friendly. I guess as more than fifty percent of internet traffic is on mobile devices, which I think is even higher for hospitals at this point. And additionally, many platforms make uh, shoppable content uh, a one click experience. Again, not quite as relevant for the healthcare piece, but I do think the mobile piece is uh, is an interesting one to think about that first.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that means so much more than just vertical videos versus horizontal videos, which was over two years ago, we were talking about that read, <laughs> you know, about how vertical videos are now a thing. But this is really just, you know, understanding your platform. And I think even more so, create content for those audiences that are on those platforms. People that are consuming your content on Twitter are are going to be doing it a lot differently than those people that are doing it on Facebook. Recently, I I had a conversation with some people at a healthcare system where they would create COVID-related content for their employees and potential workers, and they would use similar topics and themes, but create also one on Facebook for more of the consumer platform. So what they're doing is they're sharing the same information, but to those different audiences differently. Or even just how the platform
1: functions. I've just been doing buys and stuff. No people are much less willing to leave Instagram. Plus you can't have a clickable link in the description, et cetera, et cetera. So because of that, well, how does that change the content?
0: Okay, the second uh, of their essential creative rules, essential, again, so definitive here. Make it clear what you want the audience to get. The simpler, the better. One key takeaway from your video content is often the best you can hope for. And they even go so far as to say, if you have two takeaways in a video, the viewer is never going to remember either. And if it's so complex that it can't be told in under 15 seconds or with one takeaway, you should consider either doing it in a different way or breaking it up, sequencing it up to multiple pieces of content. I don't know about you, but I would agree with that.
1: Yeah, I do. It depends a little bit of the audience and the platform. But yes, I mean, certainly shorter is better. It's just like email, right? Like don't send somebody an email with like 41 different calls to action in it (laughs) and stuff like that. They're probably not going to do any of them. But if you just have the big fat button on there, you know, RSVP, learn more, whatever, you know, you got a better chance. And so I think it's, I think it's similar. The next one they talk about is uh, follow the three second rule. So as you well aware, attention spans are fleeting (laughs) and a six second skipping is a real threat. So you have to perform the magic act of not only hooking the viewer in the first three seconds, but also organically placing or using a product slash service in the first three seconds. So again, the short thing or the easy thing to remember is just don't bury the lead. Like don't because if I got to watch to the end to figure out what it is that we're even talking about, there's a chance it's not going to happen.
0: And make sure your logo is right up in front too, or else they might just skip right by. Right, so they won't even associate it with your brand. Here's another one. I like this one. Pace yourself. They say the pacing of your videos need to be quick think of it as a heartbeat pace with ups and downs in the story, not a slow build. If you try to build it, like kind of tell a more elaborate, lengthier story, they won't stay. They may not even get the message, right? Again, they say here, try to keep it at 15 seconds or under. And and I'm thinking that that's a resonant theme here. We want to get the pacing to the point now where you can get that information out very quickly because people don't, linger on video i'm thinking about my thumbs scrolling through a facebook feed mm-hmm. if i don't get it right away i'm on to the next thing for sure yeah,
1: it's, it's not even not even close and quite honestly it's like a lot of times like on instagram you know where you got to hit the the instagram tv thing to like see the whole clip i'm just like ah never mind <laughs> just keep going like i don't even click over to see the whole video Sound off or uh, for, for sound off or making videos bright. So most mobile videos are viewed with the sound off. Some of that's user settings. Some of it's the way the platform works, you know, etc. I think this drives home the importance of like the text over overlays, or the lower thirds or kind of however you want to, you know, or maybe graphics, you know, bumpers, things like that. Also, they talk about, which I haven't really thought much about this, the brightness of the phone. Right, and I know my son does this. He jacks up the uh, the brightness or down, I guess, to try to save battery. I don't think much about it because I think I'm at a desk so much or in an office so much that my phone stays plugged in or in a car or whatever, probably more than he does. And so, therefore, he jacks with all those settings like that, so it saves it saves battery. So when you're thinking about creative and you're and you're going mobile first, you know, and all that kind of stuff, make sure you're viewing it on a phone. And, you know, they talk about playing with the settings and don't just show it in front of the boardroom on a giant PowerPoint and be like, yeah, looks really great. And you and I have talked about this relative to like even podcast artwork. It literally is the size of a thumbnail. Let's not spend a bunch of time overthinking this and trying to put jam a bunch of stuff on there.
0: I think it would be great to be in front of a boardroom and say, now here's our next video and hold up a dimly lit iPhone and just let it play and see how people feel about that without sound, right? <laughs> I'm sure that would get a lot of reception when you're uh, sharing that with your with the people that want to view the creative. Okay, the last point they say here is you want to make it personal. And this comes back again. We we had that before the break too. We talked about personalization. But here what they're really driving at is content needs to be as relevant as possible to that target audience via personalization. And again, this, this approach of taking a video asset that you have and maybe chunking it up into multiple pieces of content. Those different units of content then can be personalized for different audience segments or based on triggers or signals people send. And I'm seeing more and more organizations start to embrace this through even marketing automation, email communications, where they have a a teaser video that then leads them to another page where they get to learn a little bit more through another video. And it kind of takes them down a journey with their video. And they do, a lot of it, they're doing it on understanding, like search retargeting, because you can understand by what people are searching for generally what their basic signal of intent is, and then you can start to personalize it. They actually indicate here, you could personalize it for geography, for the weather, for the mood. The seasonality, the time of day, there's a lot of different ways that you can start to parse out your video content. Now that's the big assumption here is that you have a big library of video content in order to do that with, right?
1: Yeah, that's always the <laughs> it always comes back to content at some point. So. Yeah.
0: At this point, why don't we take a quick pause and then we'll come back with an interview that I did recently with Mark Miller of the De Beaumont Foundation. For those of you who know Mark, and many of us do, he's been around for a while. He, he was actually with Nationwide Children's in the DC area, but he is now working with a public health foundation in the DC area. And he and I had a chance to talk about how he is using video to create a public face for not only his brand, but also to help communicate a very complex messaging around public health. And we'll do that right after this pause. All right. Welcome back to the ASCI Expert Experts section of the podcast. And today I'm talking with a dear friend of mine, someone I've known for quite a while. In fact, almost the whole time I've been in the healthcare space. And that's my friend, Mark Miller. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here, and not just because you're my friend, but also because of your background and your experience and what you're doing. You and I actually got to know each other many years ago in the D.C. area. Uh, for people listening in that may not be familiar with your background, do you mind sharing them a little bit about what where you came from and what you do now? Sure.
2: Um, mostly by accident, I've been fortunate to have a lot of really interesting and rewarding jobs. Um, I think it's also partly being in Washington. There's a lot of opportunity. My first real job was uh, doing public affairs at the National Governors Association, um, doing policy reports and other publications, um, also working with governors and their staff. And there was one governor I particularly liked, his name was Bill Clinton. So I started volunteering for him as a writer editor in the DC office. And then he got elected and I found myself in the White House in the very first days of his administration Um, helping to lead the Correspondence Office. So I was actually managing 15 people uh, who were writing uh, policy letters, proclamations and other publications. And really great experience, wouldn't trade it for anything, but two and a half years was a long time to work at the White House. And um, I went from there to the Corporation for National Service, which is the federal agency that uh, handles AmeriCorps and Senior Corps and other programs. And I really like that because I like to create something that you can see and feel, and as opposed to letters, which are words. I worked for a PR agency and I was recruited to be the first vice president of communications for the Case Foundation, which was led by AOL Steve Case and his wife, Jean. And it was just a chance to completely get immersed in digital communications, helping to build their first website, helping to kind of just build their brand. While I was working at the Case Foundation, my daughter got pretty sick and spent a lot of time in the hospital. And um, I somehow stumbled across job openings at Jones Hospital. And there was this one job that they were having a hard time filling because they wanted somebody who understood PR and understood philanthropy. And that was a good combination for me. So I was the first director of fundraising communications and did that for 10 years. It was the early days really of social media. So, you know, when you and I worked together and other you know, sort of pioneers, and for me, it was just fun. I, I was coming from the Case Foundation where just digital communication was just the expectation and and looking at the next thing coming. And so I was able to create our social media accounts and um, grow them and use them to raise more money and to raise the profile of the hospital. Uh, but then, um, when I saw the opportunity at the de Beaumont foundation, I thought it just kind of brought everything together. They were looking for somebody to sort of take them to the next level, explain to people what they were all about.
0: You know, it's interesting as you describe your background, Mark, because you, you kind of saw many different aspects of things that are actually impacting the healthcare industry, policy, you went to go work on the, the provider side um, with the Children's Hospital, and now you're with Beaumont, which is a public health advocacy group. When you came into that role, how did you get to understand what, what public health means and what it's what you're doing at the Beaumont organization?
2: Well, I remember when I was looking at the job and went to the website, I, I didn't really Get it. I didn't quite understand the mission. I didn't, I could see various programs that they did, but I didn't quite see what sort of held it all together. And so that was part of my job is coming in and asking a lot of questions about why we do what we do and what we're trying to change. And basically, what it is is trying to build healthy communities. So instead of treating disease in individuals, public health is about keeping people healthy, preventing disease, preparing for disasters, emergencies like we're dealing with now, it it touches everybody. The first thing I did was I really, you know, I'm going to communicate about what public health is so people understand what we're all about. So who has a good definition of public health? I looked all over, I just, I couldn't find one. And so one of our big projects has actually been doing research about what people think of when they hear the term public health and what they think public health people do. Um, one interesting poll we did showed that when we asked who, who most contributes to a healthy community, it was police, firefighters, hospitals were above public health people. That's, that's the job of your state and local public health officials. And it's just a behind the scenes role. And I think part of, especially with my boss, Brian Castrucci, he doesn't want to be in the background. He wants public health to be out there talking about what they do, and um, you know you you can't you won't have support unless people know who you are and what you're doing.
0: Which leads us to really the the, the thrust of our topic today. What we're going to be talking about is you had this this challenge, right, of of taking something very complex, a very complex story around public health and what De Beaumont does, and put a face to that. And that is a very complex communications challenge. One that I think that people listening in, even if they aren't from a public health background, many of them work for hospitals and health systems, they're faced with all the time. So tell us a little bit about that particular challenge.
2: We do a survey of the whole public health workforce. And one of my first jobs was announcing the release of the survey. And we found that more, almost half the workforce said that they're gonna leave their current job in the next five years. And so I was out there talking to reporters saying, oh my God, almost half the public health workforce says they're gonna leave within five years. And what I found is it it just didn't have traction because people didn't understand why that was important. If I told you that half the teachers are gonna leave or half the police are gonna leave, you would care about that. But it just showed me how much behind the scenes public health is. With the pandemic starting, we were again talking about Public health is you know, on the front lines doing very important work, but people don't know what it is they do. So how do we tell that story? Should it be a report? Should it be an infographic? Should it be a survey, or, you know, a poll or something? And I really wanted to hear from the people who are in the field. And I suggested doing video storytelling where people from wherever they were, whether they're working at home or outside the office, could record a short video to tell us about their experience. And so that led to our campaign called Why Public Health Matters.
0: In the midst of this pandemic, which we're in, we as a community, uh, we have we have done a really good job of kind of putting forward our thanks to those people at the front line, those frontline workers, the nurses, the doctors, that sort of thing. For you representing people that are working in public health, was this sort of a similar thrust or a similar kind of approach that you wanted to take?
2: Well, yeah, the the idea came from people in the field saying, we see all these thank you for healthcare people. How do we generate thanks and appreciation for our staff and our public health people who are working so hard? And my response to that question is, you can't just do a national campaign to say, everyone should say thanks to these people that you don't know. You have to start with defining who they are. The best way to tell the stories about who they are is to let them tell those stories. And so we very quickly, in a matter of uh, weeks, built the website, set up the technology to allow people to start submitting videos. In the first three weeks of the campaign, we received more than 100 videos, which was a response much bigger than we ever imagined.
0: Wow. To what do you attribute that? I mean, those are numbers that uh, communicator you know, that's kind of like, wow, I would love to aspire to have a, a, a program that can actually do that. Why do you think that you had so many people respond? This was a coalition of 19 organizations.
2: So we came up with the idea and then sort of pitched it to our peers in the field. And everyone we approached said, yes, we're on board. And so they've helped us get the message out to their various audiences. So the American Public Health Association, uh, the Big Cities Health Coalition, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Research America, Trust for America's Health, um, the organizations that represent government, public health. And so it was a lot of while we did, while we set up the campaign, there was a lot of uh, marketing through our partners as well. So that means that we had targeted outreach to people like um, nurses, epidemiologists, researchers, people who are working at the state level. Um, public health laboratories, another sort of untold story. So through that range of partners and their communications and just kind of working the phones and social media saying, hey, that's like a really great story. You should make a video. I think that helped. I think the other thing that helped is a little star power because we work with Soledad O'Brien. And um, so we just said, hey, could you make a one minute video inviting people to send a video? So that's our homepage. And so I think it's a very inviting way, you know, from a journalist saying please tell your story.
0: We'll put a link in the show notes to to the site where they people can actually see these stories because they're very compelling. And one thing I noticed about them, I mean these are these are just videos that people are shooting from their phones in this day where a lot of us are working from home, the the video's not like w- very well professionally produced, but the but it's incredibly authentic.
2: I'm glad you brought that up because the technology that makes this possible is a company called Gather Voices. The technology walks you through exactly what to do, whether you're on a, a phone, tablet, or computer. First of all, if you're on a phone, it says turn it sideways. <laughs> important. <laughs> Most but not all people follow that direction. <laughs> and then it shows you where to position position your head, which is important because sometimes you see these things just all over the place, and it's limited to a minute. That's why. I think the the quality you know it's not it's not broadcast quality but it is authentic and it also has they look similar because of those instructions and so the platform basically the videos come in we do a quick little edit of captions and then upload them they don't go up automatically we we
0: get to screen them first It's a wide variety of people, too. I mean, you have people on the site that are, you know, from various different capacities acting in in the public health for their communities.
2: Yeah, we didn't quite know what to expect, but we have uh, mayors, health commissioners, students, professors, other elected officials, and a lot of just, you know, regular people who work behind the scenes every day. So I think it's a good combination of sort of what you'd say, like thought leaders in public health that people will recognize, but also people who are, you know, very
0: much behind the scenes. we were looking for both. You use a hashtag, hashtag why public health matters. So not only are you bringing the, the videos to your to your website, now what do you do with this? I mean, this so now suddenly you're starting to tell this incredible story of such a complex thing, such as public health. Well, I think it's, it's going to be in a couple different
2: phases and we're still working out some of that. You know, the first... Was to collect it so that's going well we have the videos on the website we're also pushing them out through social media obviously tagging the people in their organizations um, just to kind of build awareness of what public health people are doing and our goal really is to build support you know raise the level of awareness of what public health people do and then follow up more explicitly about you know what is it that public health is asking for? What does public health need to better protect communities and be prepared for things like this? Some of the videos do a really nice job saying, here's what we're doing to respond to COVID-19, and here's how that ties to what we do every day. So the best ones really touch on both sides of that, that this is why public health matters and not just in times of an emergency.
0: In my mind, again, coming from the kind of the healthcare provider background, well, this is an incredibly powerful way to kind of reinforce your brand messaging, right? Reinforce who you are, the integrity of your your brand promise. And I know that you work for, you know, a, a public health advocacy group. This is very much transferable to organizations that are, are trying to put a human face and a value around their brand. As people are starting to think about maybe this is an opportunity for them, what some advice would you give them as they're starting to map out a, a campaign similar to this?
2: Well, I think in general, there's you know it, it could be video or it could be you know any other way of communicating, but really offering your audience or your members, whoever you're dealing with, giving them a chance to provide content and tell their story unfiltered. Video in particular lends that. And really, if you're watching the nightly news or if you're watching a music concert right now, you're watching someone looking at a camera, not a not a big film crew, no makeup artists. It's real. It's authentic. And, you know, if um, Chris Cuomo can do it, you know, you can do it, too. Once we got this started, we we had to go out to a few people like we want to have at least 10 videos when we launched the site. And so that took some cajoling and calling and following up. But once you saw what it's all about, a normal person looks at that and say, well, I could do that. So it shows that it's, it's very easy to do um, in terms of this, this particular uh, technology. And, and the other thing is we told the partners, these videos are, your video- are yours. I mean, if you want to use these for your own purposes, you know, as long as it's public education
0: and promoting public health, we also plan to share them however our partners would like. You're talking about creating content that's collectively across multiple different brands, multiple different partners, as you say, Um, and it's collected by all of these different people that are actually operating in, in the field, so to speak. You somehow crack the code around user-generated content. So what I'm hearing is, is you have to give them the ability to very easily get that content to you. The software that you use is, is one of the the ways to do that. But then to then leverage that and start to on, on whole aggregate this out in in whatever capacity as this campaign kind of shapes and and, and changes and grows. And I love the fact too. I want to say that you uh, embrace sort of the new way that we're all communicating with each other in this, you know, in the, throughout this pandemic, which is in very organic, authentic content. As we look down the road, do you see that this type of, I guess what I would call the humanization of public health, putting the face on public health through video, is this going to be something that you're going to bring forward in, in future, not only just campaigns, but in future branding efforts?
2: Yeah, i hope so i mean we we want to stay connected with our the people that we serve our partners our various programs uh the grantees and the you know the communities we work with i think everyone's kind of looking for a way to stay connected in real ways and i think this has shown
0: that video plus social media um, is one way that that can be done do you think that communication styles in the future now that we've gone through this pandemic and we've developed this sort of very low resolution, but high quality content. I don't know how to describe it better. It's sort of that authentic content that this is sort of the promise of what we were talking about years ago with social media. Do you think that communication is going to start shifting now?
2: Well, I think it's already changing. I think you're already seeing it. Um, Zoom meetings becoming the norm, Zoom birthday parties, uh, Zoom happy hours are the norm. I remember the first time someone was talking about doing a Zoom job interview. I just thought that was crazy. Like, <laughs> you, you know, look at a screen, like that's not a real connection, but it clearly is, you know, an authentic connection for people now when you don't have the typical alternative. I also think that we were in some ways not forced into this, but we, we had limitations. So even if we say, let's do video, we couldn't hire a film crew to, you know, travel across the country and interview what was happening on the ground. So it's like, what can we do now? And what can we do that's authentic? And that's kind of what led us to this. So I think there's gonna be more of that. The other thing is it's gonna change the industry in terms of what people pay for and how they pay for it. So when I pitched this idea, you know, for a small foundation like ours, and, you know, we're, we're you know, very careful with our resources. It wasn't an insignificant amount of money. But what I told them is, in my last job, a single video would have cost more than the cost of this platform, which we can use for so many other things. So I think in terms of efficiencies like that, you know, investing in uh, technology, so you can sort of maybe do things on your
0: own that you hadn't thought about doing on your own. I think some of that's going to just be necessity. Thank goodness we have the digital capabilities now um, for many of us to be able to create this, uh, this content, right. Our smartphones and the zoom and all of this different technology, because when you and I were, you know, way back when and what it feels like the infancy of social media days in healthcare, we were just, you know, working very hard. I remember us lugging around like flip cameras just to capture a video and things like that. And now it's all kind of embedded in the experience. So
2: it's what I really love about the field. Um, I don't learn a whole lot more about writing and editing. I've, I've done that a lot. Um, I don't learn a lot about you know graphic design. You know, I know you know I know how that works, but the technology is constantly changing. And so when I was at the Case Foundation, you know, I thought we were doing pretty innovative stuff, but two years later they completely did, redid the website that I helped build because there was new social media technology that they could incorporate. And you know, like I said, 40 or 40. Innovative in terms of for the field of something that hadn't been done, but I think that you know this interactive video kind of takes it to a new level, and I
0: I hope that it sort of sets a bar for other organizations and other fields. The website is uh, whypublichealthmatters.org. So for people listening in, they can go there. But um, Mark, if other people want to find out more about you and De Beaumont, what are some ways they can find you online?
2: On Twitter, I'm M Miller. 20910, which is my zip code. But more importantly, you can go to our award-winning website, Uh, It was named the best nonprofit website of 2019. So I'm glad you brought it up. The website uh, really incorporates a lot of very simple and accessible technology. It's, it's one of those things that there's a lot of technology behind it to make it look really simple. So I think it's pretty easy to go on the site and find whatever you're looking for.
0: It is a great site, in fact. When I uh, went over to do some research on it, I found myself just reading a lot of information, not only about public health, but also, you know, a variety of different resources and news that you actually link to from the site. It's it's really informative. So yeah, I encourage everybody listening in to do that. Well, Mark, listen, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate you bringing, up, bringing us up to speed on what you've been up to. And I'm I'm glad that you, you and I had a chance to, to connect, uh, you know, after all these years, it seems like we're still out there trying to make positive changes for these industries that we're in. Yeah, it was really nice catching up with you.
1: Okay, special thanks to Mark for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate him. Known him uh, at least from afar for years because of his background in the hospital universe. And so appreciate him coming on and spending a little bit of time. As you're listening to this show, if you're listening to this show as it, as it comes out at least, we are in the middle of the American Telemedicine, Telemedicine Association's uh, annual conference, the ATA 2020 annual conference. So certainly if you're interested in that, you can uh, go to gotelehealth.live and see more, log in, register, etc. cetera. But if not, I, I would recommend we'll start putting these up, but we've got about eight to 10 episodes of uh, interviews with their keynotes and things like that, that will be up. Uh, it's called The Source. It's a new show uh, that we'll be putting up on the network here shortly. So I encourage you again, touchpoint.health. Go out there, check it out, tune in. There's uh, some really cool conversations with some folks there uh, that are making a difference in the
0: uh, virtual care arena. All right, let's do
1: some uh, recommendations. What do you, What do you have?
0: Okay, Reed. Well, this weekend, it was a Father's Day weekend this past weekend, and yeah. uh, we had my wife's parents come up, and we had an outdoor barbecue. I did a nice socially distant barbecue out back, and we actually grilled some uh, shish kebabs. And what I'm going to recommend are metal skewers for grilling. I'm not sure if you you ever do my like kind of shish kebab or any kind of uh, you know things like that on the grill, but we do a fair number of vegetables and other things that we like to put on the grill, along with the sausages and other things that we do. I was able to uh, pick up from uh, our good old Amazon a set of these uh, stainless steel barbecue skewers, about 17 inches long, kind of long, nice and long, so you can get a lot of vegetables on them. And I'm telling you, I'll never go back to a wooden skewer again. These things are great. You can do a variety of different things. You can use the skewers for an, for not only just a single shish kebab, or uh, sometimes I put some Brussels sprouts on them and throw them on the grill. It's just very versatile. I love these metal skewers. And then afterwards, you just wash them off and put them back in the drawer. You can reuse them again. So that is going to be my recommendation.
1: Well, there you go metal skewers. We've done everything from tractors to metal skewers. Uh, we, we've, we've, re- we've recommended just about everything that there is at this point. I think. <laughs> We're almost out. Um, no, that's a great recommendation. I've also got another one that is relevant for summer. Not that you can't grill year-round, but uh, certainly more people are probably grilling these days. Um, and so similar to that, uh, a good summer movie, uh, if you have not seen it. Starring Steve Carell, The Way, Way Back. Have you seen this?
0: No. Oh, I got to see it.
1: It is spectacular. It's called The Way, Way Back. I think right now you would have to rent it uh, or buy it off of Apple or something like that. But I think it's a few bucks on like Prime and YouTube and, you know, those different places. But it's a great kind of coming of age, summertime movie highly recommend it it's got some of the, the the best one-liners and it's just it's just funny uh you'd recognize a few people in it but there's no superstars other than uh than steve carell but um the way way back
0: love it steve carell i'm watching a uh, space force right now which stars him and that's hilarious so i always love steve carell
1: he is great. Well, it's a uh, another great week, another great episode. Certainly appreciate everybody's support. Touchpoint.health is the website. That's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this
2: show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.